Welcome to the World Languages Collaborative Podcast, a series of podcasts aiming to help language teachers improve their craft through innovative ideas, strategies, and best practices from expert teachers. The World Languages Collaborative brings language teachers together from all over the state of Georgia and beyond to exchange ideas and perspectives on teaching and learning languages. The World Languages Collaborative podcast is an extension of this effort and is brought to you by the Department of World Languages and Cultures at Georgia Southern University. I'm your host, Grant Gearhart, Associate Professor of Spanish at Georgia Southern. My guest today is Aaron Austin. Aaron is a National Board Certified Teacher of French, the 2023 Colorado Congress of Foreign Language Teachers Teacher of the Year, and author of two books with Routledge. Her first book is The Ultimate Guide to Selling Your Original World Language Resources, How to Open, Fill, and Grow a Successful Online Curriculum Store. And her latest book is Going Global in the World Language Classroom, Ideas, Strategies, and Resources for Teaching and Learning with the World. Our conversation today is about her latest book on going global in the world language classroom. We talk about and dismantle the myth that language teaching is automatically akin to global education. And we discuss some strategies and practices that language teachers can implement to make their classrooms more global. And be sure to check out the show notes for more information about Erin, her books, and her work on this topic. Now, please welcome Erin to the podcast. Okay, Erin Austin, welcome to the podcast. Erin, you're a teacher of the year. You're an author. You're a national board certified teacher. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your work, and your journey to be uh, to becoming a world language teacher. Thank you so much for that intro. Um, I, like many teachers, I come from a whole family of teachers on my dad's side. And we often joke that we could establish our own own school because we cover almost all of the disciplines just within the family. Uh, so I knew that I wanted to work with kids. And um, after I started working with kids more, it became really apparent that teenagers are where it's at. I love working with teenagers. Uh, I started actually in middle school, which is just so much fun. And I still love that. It's been a while since I've taught it. I teach high school now, including concurrent enrollment classes uh, with a community college in my city. And I, I knew I wanted to teach, but what made it be French was that I went to Paris for the very first time in 1999. And that absolutely changed something for me. Absolutely just hit me just to my core. And I am dual certified in K-12 French and K-12 arts. So I also teach AP art history along with my French classes. And I am the 2023 Colorado Congress of Foreign Language Teachers Teacher of the Year. I've written a couple books with Routledge and I am a national board certified teacher. So I'm just continually trying to get better at what I do. And after having done this for, I'm in year 22 now, it's like, all right, now it's kind of time to give back. It's time to put ideas out there. It's time to mentor younger teachers who want it and uh, contribute to the profession. 
And you're doing that through through a lot of authoring and writing. And your new book, Going Global in the World Language Classroom, has a really interesting take on the, the idea of going global. And, and in some ways, it's it seems like it's almost an oxymoron because, like, aren't we going global by virtue of being world language teachers? What, what's your take on that? I love that question. So thank you for that. In 20... 20- uh, 17, I started my journey as a NEA Foundation Global Learning Fellow. And I remember that it was a year-long fellowship that was 100% the best professional development I've ever had, ever. And when I walked into that first meeting of all the fellows from all across the country, I walked in thinking very naively and very arrogantly, as a world language teacher, oh, I got this. I got this. Like, this is what we do. We are global educators. And then I sat there and listened to experts in global education, including Dr. Fernando Reimers of the Harvard Graduate School of Ed, who is an intellectual, or he's an international expert on global ed. And I very quickly realized, oh, no, this is not what we do. So, One way of thinking about it is that in traditional world language education, the model tends to be a little bit like visiting a museum. Like you go to a museum and you look at the art or at the exhibit or whatever, and you learn so much, but you don't really touch it. You don't interact. And if you do, you might be in trouble. (laughs) So it's a it's a model that is very othering and global education is not that way at all. Global education has a few major players. Uh, World Savvy and the Asia Society are two organizations that are steeped in the global ed movement. The Harvard Graduate School of Ed, the University of North Carolina, their worldview program, they're significant. Global ed is inextricably linked to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, inextricably linked to fostering empathy in the classroom, and inextricably linked to centering global competence in what we do. Now, I think some of those things factor into traditional world language education, but not all. And the best way to boil down global education, which just kind of made my mind explode when I heard it, was a single sentence. Global education isn't just learning about the world. It's learning with and from the world. And that isn't traditionally what I have seen world language teachers do. We're the best poised to do it, and we absolutely can. It just hasn't been the model. So it's moving from learning about the world to learning with and from the world. Give our listeners some sort of concrete ideas by Mm -hmm. what you mean learning with and from the world rather than learning about the world. Because it makes me think of all the textbooks have the uh, culture corner, right? Or the Mm -hmm. end of, and and to me that, that falls into the about. So how do we Mm -hmm. shift from about to learning with and from? So that essentially is the entire content of my book. It's giving teachers ideas, strategies, and resources to implement these principles into our classrooms. So 
I'll give you uh, an example, a really easy example that I'm doing with my own students right now. So I teach French. We learn about France, yes, but my classes have pen pals in France. So all of a sudden, they're communicating with real-life kids their age, not on a pre-recorded video, in actual letters that they send each other. And they write late their letters using translanguaging. So they're using French, they are using English, they are using some franglais. They are teaching the French students some English, and conversely, the French students are teaching mine back. I have... Um, I've made a connection with a teacher in Senegal and hope to partner with her and her students in the, the spring semester. So it's taking what they're learning about the language in however you want to teach it. I'm not going to bash anybody's method. And then making connections. So my students are literally learning from these French students. And the teacher and I will talk and be like, okay, we're talking about such and such thing in the classroom. So that's what my students are going to write about. And then I'll say, oh yeah, and we're covering this. So we'll ask these kind of questions to you. And it's a great way to get kids excited about the language because all of a sudden it makes more sense and they know why they're doing it because they have a new friend. So you're incorporating some real world sort of interactions and competencies into this quest to be, to being global and not just being on the surface. I love that. I think that's great. Um, in your book, you mentioned the Asia society's four domains of global competence, and they are uh, recognize, <laughs> investigate the world, recognize perspectives, communicate ideas and take taking actions. Can you elaborate on that just a little bit and, and let our listeners know kind of what how those four domains of global competence factor into the pedagogical aspects of sort of weaving this into world language education? Absolutely. So that first domain of investigating the world, students investigate the world beyond their immediate environment. So immediate environment being the classroom. So a lot of what we're trying to do in global education is get outside of the classroom. So it's integrating our content with other content areas. It's getting outside of our classroom onto the school grounds as a whole. It's getting into our communities and neighborhoods. Uh, very often, I have found that when I talk to world language teachers about global education, they immediately go to taking trips abroad. Yes, that is great, and I am all for it, but it's also not super equitable. And we need to consider that just because we might be able to go abroad or have in the past, and that is global to us, there are students who never leave their neighborhoods. So global to them is the next neighborhood over, and we have to start there. So investigating the world might start with just the next neighborhood over. Then we get recognizing perspectives. So it's students recognizing their own perspectives and others' perspectives and why those perspectives came to be. Like what leads some, what is in someone's background that creates that perspective? So it's more than just here's the perspective, it's digging in. 
The third domain is communicate ideas. So students communicate their ideas effectively with diverse audiences. So traditionally, the audience for communication has been classmates and the teacher. Well, what about if we bring that out into communicating via letters or via Flipgrid with students all over the world? What about if we engage students in writing letters to people in government, our own and others, about things that concern them? And they can use the target language combined with English or not. What about if we communicate with um, local organizations? For example, my students go out and have worked with World Language Storytime at our local library. That's a diverse audience of people coming and bringing their kids there. I know people that have podcasts with their students. Uh, And the last domain is take action. So students translate their ideas into appropriate action to improve condition. So this is so important and a pretty significant missing piece in my view How do we take what we're learning in our world language classroom and take action to make the world better, to improve conditions? And if we do this without a global education lens, it can be a bit white savory, and we want to steer clear of that. We want the taking action to be in communication with, in conjunction with people all over the world working together. So you talked about target language use in these activities, and you mentioned using the target language, maybe a, a English or a common language, or a mixture of both. And that got me really curious. How does the target language, since we are world language educators, that's our, our primary mission, but I agree with you 100%, we're also teachers of culture and teachers of global competence. Um, But it comes up a lot in discussions that I have with teaching candidates and with other instructors about target language use in the classroom. And so I'm wondering, kind of, what's your approach to target language with the mission of going global? I, I think it's all about what are your goals and what masters are you trying to serve? And I, I have a good friend who, when she She's actually at the university level now, but when she was teaching high school, her kids never heard her speak a word of English. And I'm like, man, you are a powerhouse. That is amazing. And I think she was really effective at it. My goal is 90% target language. Now, it's going to look different in a level one class versus a level uh, four or five, my upper level IB class. But I have learned over the years. If I need to speak English to get a point across or to get the kids like on board with something that I'm going to then continue with in the target language, I use the common language. And I think as soon as so many people I know speak English, they feel like they're doing a disservice and they feel like they feel like they're not um, meeting the goal of the class when ultimately, I, I don't think it's an issue because we're still speaking a high level of the content or the target language and multilingualism should be celebrated, I feel. So why not talk about the fact that 
you know how to communicate in at least two, some of my students, three or four languages. Let's use it. I don't want to dampen one of their languages. So to me, that's important. There's a really great book. I think it's called Becoming Fluent that talks about using all of the skills of your first language in building that second language. And the authors really are against pushing away the first language because of the excellent skills that it brings to the table. And I tend to agree in in what you said about um, the multilingual classroom and celebrating multilingualism. Obviously, we're trying to develop skills and abilities and proficiency in a new language. That's why the students are in our classes. But at some point, they're their ability, they need to see the, that they have the ability to use both and how both work together or how multiple languages work together. So um, I, I really stress to my my MA students, my master's students, that, that multilingualism in the classroom is, is a strong tool and not to ignore it. We don't want to create a monolingual classroom necessarily for the sake of just developing this one uh, ability. We want our students to see, yes, improve in the language that we're instructing them in, but also realize that's going to have an interaction with their native language or what other other languages they use on a daily basis or know. Um, and it's different for every student. So I think it's it's a really good point that you made. You also made a point about the different different levels um, from from a language a language one classroom all the way to an IB classroom. So I was wondering if you could talk just briefly kind of about in terms of going global, your perspectives towards, say, going global in an introductory first year, first semester French course versus going global in an IB for an AP classroom. Does that look the same, different? And, and, and if so, how? It can. But I don't think it necessarily has to. I think one thing that's pretty interesting, at least to me, is if you're doing like different global education strategies and different levels and making sure that students know what might be coming in another level. So if the level two students that I have now know that they're communicating with someone in France, but know that in level three, they're going to communicate with someone in Senegal, that's different. And know that in level four, they're going to do world language story time at the local library and that they're in charge of that, that's different. Um, I do take students abroad and what I expect them to be able to do abroad is certainly different. (laughs) If you just finish level one versus level five, that's a big difference. Um, But I do try in my classes to vary the strategies that I use so that it, it stays fresh and exciting for kids while trying to make the experiences as equitable as possible. In the forward to your book, Going Global in the World Language Classroom, something really jumped out at me, and I'm going to read this quote. And it's, a, it's sort of a longer quote, so bear with me, listeners. We make sense of the world largely through language. The ability to name things, to represent the world in the symbolic system, which is a language, allows us to comprehend the world more deeply, not just to live in the world, but to understand it. 
a language, the foundation of thought, allows us to experiment with representations of the world, to formulate explanations, to imagine things that do not yet exist, and to create. It allows us the possibility to understand others, to see the world through their eyes, and to collaborate with them. It is in this power to see the world through the eyes of others, to discover our shared humanity, that a language also enables us to improve the world. I really love that. I think that's that should be on my syllabi, all my syllabi, right? It's just a very powerful statement on language. And to me, it's the it's the thing that's connecting language with this idea of going global. Because if I understand you correctly, going global is a broader concept academically and educationally than just language. But we seem to be a very focal point in making that going global experience a true success. So can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I absolutely believe that world language teachers, although we are not, I think, adhering to really the the core of global education, I think we're in a bit of an older model and global education is the future. We are the ones absolutely best poised to lead this effort. I think we have the knowledge, the experience, um, and the ideas that can catapult it forward. And regarding that quote that was in the foreword of the book, that was by Dr. Fernando Reimers of the Harvard Grad School of Ed. I think, yes, you're right, it's long, but it can be summed up simply by saying that languages are magic. They just really are. They open up so much. And I don't want to to reduce it to just like spoken languages because music is a language and and we see how much that brings the world together. So um, you're right in that like the power of language to transform the world is considerable and worth bringing up on syllabi. So I'd like to kind of wrap us up with the question, what can world language teachers, beside, besides getting your book, which we should all do, but what can world language teachers do right now to make our classrooms more global? If you can give us one, two, three things that we can do right now before we go out and get your book that we can immediately put into practice in the classroom, can you think of some tangible things that will immediately make a difference and kind of get us out of that legacy way of of approaching the subject and into something a little bit more forward thinking? Yes. So the first thing I would do is pretty simple. Go to the Asia Society's website, go to World Savvy's website, and just hunt around a little bit. Read a little bit about global education and and let yourself think about how those ideas integrate well with world language education. Another thing I would do is it's hard to create a classroom that centers on global competence when we aren't, as the adult leaders in the the classroom experience, really working to to bring that into our own lives, to bring it into the forefront. So go out and seek out uh, experiences in global ed. So books, 
podcasts, articles, fellowships, professional development. I have a whole section in the book about uh, where teachers can go for free professional development in this topic and also some areas that you do have to pay for, but I'm really big into taking things that have a price tag and figuring out how to make it cheap or free. So number one is exploring those major players. Number two is becoming more globally competent yourself because that ignites a spark. It absolutely ignites a spark that we can then bring into the classroom. And number three is in all this learning, just start small. What is one thing that I can bring into my level one class this year? And then next year, what's another thing that maybe could be really complementary with that? So I'll just use the example I used before, like the pen pal idea. It's really, really simple. It's not new. But what if we did it every year with every kid? And now with the power of social media, when they're done with their letters, they can choose if they would like to connect via social media and just start building a web of friendship around the globe. That would be huge. No, I think you really hit on a on a good point there at the end with starting small because all of these things can seem overwhelming when you try to digest them in one in one bite. But if you if you start small and build from there, it's much more manageable and it's much less overwhelming. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for all your dedicated work to world language education. And we look forward to all the wonderful things you'll be doing in the future. And I'd love to have you back on the podcast again to talk about uh, this topic or other topics that are of interest. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciated the time. Thanks for listening to the World Languages Collaborative Podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please give us a like, subscribe, and share with your colleagues or anyone interested in language teaching, learning, or language learning advocacy. For more information on the World Languages Collaborative, contact me, Grant Gearhart, at G-G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T at georgiasouthern.edu, and I'll link my email address in the show notes. Again, thanks for your support, and we'll see you next time.